the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show, hour number three, News Talk 710-KNUS. Good to be with you. Lots to talk about this hour, including a quick update if you didn't hear the news. Colorado politics. Former Mesa County elections manager Sandra Brown pleaded guilty Wednesday to two charges related to an election equipment tampering case in Mesa County and has agreed to testify against her former boss, Mesa County Clerk and Recorder Tina Peters. By the way, that is the second person to flip on Tina. Former Deputy Clerk Brenda uh, Nicely also agreed to a plea deal in August in which she pleaded guilty to three misdemeanor charges and was sentenced to two years of unsupervised probation and to perform 150 hours of community service. Nicely's plea deal required her to testify against both Peters and Brown if needed. However, according to Mesa County District Attorney Dan Rubenstein, no modification of Nicely's agreement is necessary as she is no longer needed to testify against Brown. Brown was originally charged with two felony counts of conspiracy to commit criminal impersonation to gain a benefit and attempt to influence a political uh, public servant who was identified as a member of the elections division for the Colorado Secretary of State. So you got two alleged accomplices of Tina Peters that have flipped and said we're willing to testify. That's not a small story, quite a big one indeed in Colorado politics. So what did we have yesterday that was revealed through what Elon Musk and journalist Matt Taibbi are calling the Twitter files? The first batch was released yesterday. National Review summing it up. In an email dated October 24th, just days before the 2020 presidential election, the Biden team reportedly demanded that Twitter scrub information critical of Hunter Biden from the site, according to a jaw-dropping release of the Twitter files by new CEO Elon Musk. Twitter staff forwarded a request from what seemed to be the Biden campaign to delete five tweets in particular. More to review from the Biden team. The message from the first installment of the documents analyzed by journalist Matt Taibbi read. Handled was the reply. Simple word. One word. Handled. Three of the tweets from since suspended accounts featured scandalous graphic images of the president's son posing with his genitalia exposed, according to archives, which were leaked from the laptop that the New York Post first uncovered. In one image, Hunter Biden's nudity is blotted out by red digital paint. Also on October 24th, the Democratic National Committee requested two tweets related to Hunter Biden be removed. 
One from James Wood was a parody Biden presidential ad displaying his son smoking what appears to be a crack pipe. Hunter Biden abandoned the computer at a Delaware repair shop in April 2019. It contained messages showing that then Vice President Joe Biden was introduced by his son to a top businessman at a Ukrainian energy firm, quote, less than a year before the elder Biden pressured government officials in Ukraine into firing a prosecutor who was investigating the company, close quote. The Post wrote in October 2020, the correspondence contradicted Biden's claim that he had never spoken to Hunter Biden quote, about his overseas business dealings. Now, we know from yesterday, the National Review goes on, the internal documents screened by Taibbi show how Twitter gradually expanded its content moderation regime to include obliging ad hoc requests from executives and political operatives from the Biden and Trump teams to delete contact they content they deemed objectionable. There was also a great internal confusion and disorganization among Twitter management over the suspension of the Hunter Biden laptop bombshell back in October 2020. Twitter staff and leadership were caught in what appears to be a tug of war over formulating the public justification to remove the New York Post expose of the contents of the laptop. The decision to stifle access to the report, including by blocking the posting of URLs to it, was made by top leadership of the company, but without the knowledge of former CEO Jack Dorsey, according to Taibbi, former head of legal policy and trust, Vijay Gade was allegedly intimately involved. They just freelanced it, a former Twitter employee reportedly told Taibbi of Twitter's justification for censoring the scoop. Hacking was the excuse But within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. There's one point in these emails that is so striking in the report, but among the emails that were leaked, where Congressman Ro Khanna, who's a progressive in Congress, self-described progressive, sent to that gentleman that was mentioned... Uh, let's see, his name, Vijay Gadi, former head of legal policy and trust. He sent an email this way. Rokana did. Quote, but this seems a violation of the First Amendment principles. If there is a hack of classified information or other information that could expose a serious war crime and the New York Times was to publish it, I think the New York Times should have that right. A journalist should not be held accountable for the illegal actions of the source unless they actively aided the hack. So to restrict the distribution of that material, especially regarding a presidential candidate, seems not in keeping with the principles of New York Times v. Sullivan. I say this as a total Biden partisan and convinced that he didn't do anything wrong. But the story has now become more about censorship than relatively innocuous emails. Again, this is Rokana's interpretation. And it's become a bigger deal than it would have been. Which, by the way, is an important point that Twitter and Facebook have all too often and other outlets not realized or not cared about. Is that if you suppress things, 
especially including things that are not true, if you just suppress it, then it can take on a life of its own and people start to believe it, that there's something being hidden that needs to be out in the open. Instead, you need to debate it, you need to discuss it, you need to slice it out. In most cases, that's the ticket, for, especially for something like, you know, COVID issues or what have. Allow those discussions to go on, especially, I mean, you think about the revelations that we learn, you know, they block the Hunter Biden information and then it turns out to be true, which we knew back then it was true. But they tried to act like it wasn't, that it was just Russian disinformation. But Ro Khanna's email goes on. It also is now leading to serious efforts to curtail Section 230, many of which would have been a mistake. I believe Twitter itself should curtail what it recommends or puts in trending news, and your policy against QAnon groups is all good, he said. It's a hard balance. But in the heat of a presidential campaign, restricting dissemination of newspaper articles, even if New York Post is far right, seems like it will invite more backlash then it will do good. And then he says, please keep this communication between us and Jack and no need to CC the team or forward to them. Just wanted to offer my two cents. But isn't that an interesting email? And thank you, Alexa, clarifying that Vijay, and I'm not sure to pronounce it, uh, Gade is actually female, the former head of uh, legal policy and trust. Um, Thank you for that clarification, Alexa. There's a lot more reporting on this from various sources, breaking it down. You can go to my Twitter feed where a few tweets ago, at Sang Center, I retweeted my colleague Stefan Tubbs, who retweeted Matt Taibbi's thread with all these details. And there's more to come reportedly today. Now, we are seeing some mainstream media outlets covering this, but others ignoring it. Or those who are covering it have, to some extent, minimized it. Alexa noting about this in a tweet. The silence among most of the MSM mainstream media on Twittergate slash quashing the Hunter story is deafening. Even the CBS News at the top of the hour went 180 degrees with their top reporting being hate speech has been on the rise since Elon took over. Can you imagine if the Watergate story was suppressed by MSM? I checked 9 News, MSN, and CNN last night, 9 p.m. No coverage of Twittergate. These people are evil. Now, I don't know about evil, Alexa. I will have to say, I don't know. They're playing political games. But it is wrong to not be covering this massive story. Yes, to the texter who said, what do you mean the story about Twitter isn't on mainstream media? I just read about it on Axios and MSNBC. Take it back. Yeah, you've seen some coverage. NBC last night, and I think they republished it on MSNBC. Did do a story. Bloomberg did a story, but acted like they weren't sure who gave the authorization for Taibbi to get this when it was clearly Elon Musk. And other outlets not covering it at all or barely covering it. This is a big story, especially because it implicates the government. And certainly implicates the Biden campaign. And that's where you have First Amendment issues in play. Colluding with a tech platform. It's one thing for Twitter to unilaterally decide we want to get rid of these tweets, etc. Fine. I don't think it's necessarily right. Certainly not in the case of the New York Post and all this with Hunter Biden. That's wrong. 
that was horrible to do, but it's it's their right. But when you're facing pressure from a president, major presidential campaign or from the administration, as we saw with COVID, Jen Psaki was talking about this, COVID misinformation and disinformation, their coordination with social media outlets, like that is unacceptable and I would argue unconstitutional. 303-696-1971. Marcus in Aurora has been patiently waiting for forever. Marcus, thanks for waiting forever. Now we got you on, brother. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning to you. It's an, always an honor to talk to you now and then. <laughs> Absolutely. But How you doing? I'm Orthodox, Jewish, Roman Catholic. And what on Elon Musk, because it ties into everything you, you said this morning on racism. And being, I like listening to people and everything, but uh, with Elon Musk, when you sit there, with Twitter and everything, I rather know who hates who. Then you know where they're coming from. Don't don't get them off. Don't you hide them or something. Then you know who you're talking to or who they are. I see. Allow people to expose themselves by yeah. expressing yeah. these things. So I I agree with that uh, in terms of a platform like Twitter. For the most part, I don't think that. A a show host with a major platform like a Tim Pool or as f- extreme as he is, Alex Jones, should yeah. uh, you know be platforming. It's one thing to platform on your programs and your shows, and then to let them get a pass. It, it's another thing to be looking at. Okay, what are they saying? And a lot of these things, yes, have free reign. I I honestly I don't object to Kanye West being shut down from a uh, Twitter because he has gone. Uh, to this exceptionally extreme place. But then again, the Ayatollah, uh, the the supreme leader in Iran, for example, is still on Twitter and others. So, you know, it's one thing you got to get rid of him, too. I know who they are than hiding them. Sure. You know, see what I'm saying? When you see them, they're exposed. You know who they are. Mm -hmm. That's more powerful information than anything else and then you get to know what they're saying and then how to rebut and rebuke it with the hunter biden story let's say it wasn't true we know it's true and they suppressed it but let's say it it wasn't true true. you could have made that case and presented it and made that argument but because they suppressed it i mean it's hunter biden isn't a good example because it's true the hunter biden story was real you know yeah right. Yeah. If they know and and don't suppress these people, then you're going to know who they are and where they're at. So there's I think there's a lot of truth to that, Marcus. Hey, I appreciate it. And it stops a lot. Oh, it's always good talking to you. Yeah, I appreciate you waiting. Thanks for the call. Good point. Uh, You as well. Merry Christmas uh, and and happy Hanukkah. You said you're both Orthodox Jewish. Merry Christmas. I I do both sides. I, one, one of these days, I got to ask you about being Orthodox <laughs> Jewish and Roman Catholic because I don't quite know how those go together. But I, oh, I, God, I the, both sides, one's a prophet, one's not, and there's God and everything. No, and, no, no, so no. It, it, it's like trust me on this, uh, 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 Marcus. It's hey, just one side's culture, another one's not. But well, know, back I think, in the day, it the, wasn't interracial marriages. 
it was religion. <laughs> well, okay, no, I, I can, I can certainly understand that, but I just mean in terms of uh, religious faith beliefs. But Marcus, I appreciate the call. Have a great one, sir. I, uh, I always uh, enjoy when you call in. The point is well taken. Let them say it on the platform like Twitter and be able to know what they're saying and refute it. There does come a point where. There may be a line that gets crossed. I think Kanye West has crossed that line. I I think it's reasonable to ban him from Twitter. But if you're going to do that, that like that's an, an exception to the rule of the broad stroke of what you should allow. But that means you need to get rid of the supreme leader of Iran as well. He should not have. I mean, that's literally, he says death to Israel and this goes on. You want to talk about inciting violence? Nobody incites violence like Iran. And the Iranian regime. Oh, my goodness. It is quite stunning. Our telephone number, of course, 303-696-1971. Is our telephone number. In just a minute, we'll be taking our break and going to Ilya Soman. But Alexa in Arvada calling in. Good morning, Alexa. How are you? Good. How are you, Jimmy? I am doing well. Thanks for calling in. So my point about these people being evil, I look at, I'll throw three stories out really quick, is remember in uh, when Hickenlooper was mayor and he quashed the story about gangs killing um, white men after 9 p.m. downtown, um, then Kyle Clark having the CU expert on right before the election to tell us the crime rates weren't bad and we we need to be evidence-informed. Um, and then the entire Balenciaga, Balencia story, um, you know, there's child porn, there's child abuse going on, um, sex trafficking, et cetera. And they're not, the news is not telling the public the truth. I see. They're giving us this horrible image that, I mean, according to Kyle Clark, you should just be able to go walk downtown and not be afraid. Mm-hmm. And don't worry about your car being stolen, Jimmy. That doesn't happen. You yeah. know that three times <laughs> over. That's, yes. But now, those are just made up. So that's why they're evil. I they, see. They are not telling us the truth. And how can you vote informed if you're being lied to? Mm. And it's an intentional lie. So that's why they're Well, first of all, I appreciate you calling in. Always enjoy your text. You offer uh, quite a bit into the conversation there. And I like that you called in this morning. So thank you so much, Alexa, for that. I appreciate it. And a valid point. I understand where you're coming from. Thanks, Jimmy. Appreciate all the investigation you do. Absolutely. It will continue. Thanks so much. Appreciate the call. Unfortunately, that is it for our calls this morning. we got to get to Professor Elias Soman on the other side. And then i got to briefly touch on the subject of Tay Anderson and his re-election bid for school board. Keep it right here. News Talk 710KNUS. What in the world is going on with this Supreme Court case that will be coming regarding Biden's student loan forgiveness scheme? Professor Soman will offer insight on that coming up. Stay with us. Oh, yes. Run, run, Rudolph. I gotta love this version. My musical guilty pleasure of sorts is Kelly Clarkson. That's who we're hearing here doing the Chuck Berry classic. And a great version of it, by the way.
And yes, I have once seen Kelly Clarkson in concert. Believe it or not. And I wish she would come out with a blues album for crying out loud with that voice. If she came out with the blues album, it would introduce a whole new generation of the blues. I would love to see that. Well, to hear it and see it. It would be great. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. Welcome back to the Jimmy Sangenberger Show. News Talk 710 KNUS. By the way, you can hear Jimmy's Bluesified Christmas Bumpers now at jimmysangenberger.com slash bluesified Christmas or just log on to jimmysangenberger.com. Remember, all ease all the time in Sangenberger. And you can click multiple icons to be able to listen. Great stuff there. But let's talk a little bit about something different. We're going to shift gears. The Supreme Court is going to hear a legal case on the legality of President Joe Biden's unilateral student loan forgiveness plan. Let's dive into this topic and break it down with professor of law at the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University and author of several books, including Free to Move, Foot Voting, Migration and Political Freedom. He's a libertarian legal scholar extraordinaire. Ilya Soman joins me now. Good morning, sir, and welcome back. It's good to talk with you. For inviting me. Thanks for coming on. I, I always appreciate your perspective, um, especially because one thing about libertarians is you can be pretty consistent, especially in your political criticisms, as we will hear uh, a little bit coming up. And I always appreciate that. Uh, Professor Soman, let's just break down and start from the top. Uh, how did we get to the Supreme Court taking this case? For a long time, uh, many people on the progressive left have wanted to do a big uh, loan forgiveness program, uh, but they've never been able to push it through Congress. Uh, and finally, after a long time of deliberating back and forth on this, uh, Joe Biden decided he was going to try to do it by unilateral executive action using a provision of the 2003 HEROES Act uh, which essentially enables the president to modify or alter terms of student loans when uh, the recipients of the loans, the borrowers, uh, have been negatively affected in their ability to repay by some sort of national emergency. Uh, and in this case, the emergency he's using as the uh, justification for this is the COVID pandemic. Uh, but he had then used that lever to announce a massive loan forgiveness plan that would forgive up to $10,000 for anybody whose individual household income is up to $125,000 a year. If they're a married couple, it would be $250,000, and you could get uh, between them $20,000. So all told, this would be a massive rate on the Treasury of uh, the estimates about $400 billion. So it could potentially be even more. Uh, and there have been a lot of legal challenges filed against this on this theory that basically this goes way beyond anything that Congress authorized in the HEROES Act or anywhere else, uh, and therefore it's an infringement on Congress's constitutional authority over the uh, federal budget. The Constitution gives Congress, not the president, the authority to determine how money is spent. Uh, to make a long story short, a lot of the cases that were filed were dismissed on various procedural grounds usually standing, uh, the theory that the person who filed the case didn't have the kind of injury from the loan plan, from loan forgiveness plan that is required by Supreme Court precedent. Uh, but 
in two cases, one of which has just reached the Supreme Court. Lower courts did rule that the plaintiffs have standing, uh, and they also, in both of those cases, ruled against the president's program on the merits, uh, uh, at least as a preliminary matter enough to uh, uh, institute an injunction blocking the program until the court can hear the case more thoroughly. Uh, and one of these cases, which has gone through the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit and was filed by six uh, Republican-leaning states, uh, that case has now gotten to the Supreme Court, which is going to hear oral arguments on it in February, and we should have a final decision probably by June. In the meantime, the Supreme Court has refused the Biden administration's request to lift the injunction temporarily blocking the program. So until the Supreme Court hears oral arguments in, in February and probably even until there's a final decision, right. uh, the program will remain blocked. So uh, just to be clear, that to me sounds like the Supreme Court is likely leaning, and I think you mentioned this in one of your pieces for the Volokh conspiracy over at Reason, Professor Elias Soman, but I, I think that that may be an indication, not anything firm, but an indication that the Supreme Court is more likely than not to do what one would think if you look at the conservative makeup of the majority, to say this isn't constitutional, we're going to strike it down. So it's not certain, but it is likely. Technically, the Supreme Court did not reject the Biden administration's request to lift the injunction. What they said in their very short order to issue it a couple of days ago is that they're just deferring consideration of it until at least the time of the oral argument. However, if there was a majority of justices who thought that the Biden administration was likely to win, I think it is likely they would have lifted the injunction. However, I can't be certain about it. None of that. It's not always easy to figure out exactly what's going through the justices' minds. Again, we're talking with Professor Ilya Soman of the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. Professor, let's talk a little bit about the legality of this as you view it. I know you've made a lot of comparisons to, for example, um, former President Trump's unilateral decision to go ahead with constructing uh, the border wall in terms of overstepping presidential authority. But how do you assess the constitutionality here, especially because the uh, basis upon which the Biden administration is resting this student loan forgiveness scheme legally is on this 2003 law called the HEROES Act. Yes. So in both this case and the border wall situation, the president uh, had this thing that is on his political agenda that he would like to do, but the Congress was not willing to fund or at least not anything like the scale that he wanted. So in both instances, in one sense, case Trump, in this case Biden, the president said, well, we have a national emergency on the books, or in the case of Trump, he declared a new national emergency, and that triggers various powers. Uh, and then uh, the president, having triggered a national emergency, vastly overstated the extent of his authority under uh, that emergency provision, and then essentially uh, usurped Congress's power to allocate federal spending uh, to try to spend the money on something that he wanted to do rather than on what Congress wanted to do. So in, in the specific case of the HEROES Act, I readily grant that you might be able to find some people within the many millions who have student loans where you can make a serious argument that their ability to repay has been 
impaired by the COVID pandemic. Like, for instance, they have serious long-term illness or they had a long-term spell of unemployment because of the pandemic. But there's no way this is true of more than a small fraction of the something like 40 million people who qualify for the loan forgiveness uh, under Biden's plan. Uh, so he's effectively trying to build this vast mountain out of a relatively small molehill. Uh, and uh, if he's allowed to get away with it, then that would set a dangerous precedent for the president, in effect, using the federal treasury as a piggy bank to pursue his own agenda without having to reckon with Congress. Even if you trust Biden with this authority, you probably don't trust the next Republican president. And similarly, uh, you know, if you trusted Donald Trump and you supported his border wall diversion, which is a very similar kind of a thing, uh, then you probably uh, don't trust the Democrats when they do it. So I think we're all better off if the president cannot, in fact, use the Treasury as his personal piggy bank yes. uh, and cut Congress out of the process. Now, I know as the author of Free to Move, foot voting, migration and political freedom, you're not in favor of a border wall. I would say folks like myself who who want to have a, a secure border may support a policy through Congress of, say, building the wall or fencing or what have you while opposing a unilateral action by the president. You hear about hear about people evermore, it seems, and more and more, stealing a purse. Well, stealing Congress's power of the purse is exactly what we have here with the president when it comes to Joe Biden or previously vis-a-vis um, Donald Trump with, with the border wall. Uh, Professor Soman, let me just ask you a final question as we wrap up our conversation here, and I so appreciate your time. What's the timeline of this? What do you expect? Because keep in mind, in one part, one aspect of this, you have a um, uh, this moratorium on student loan payments where you, if, if you're not making payments, you're not charged any interest. We're going on almost three years of that. Biden extended it through the beginning of January, and now he's extended it again through uh, July because of what the Supreme Court's doing. So with that in mind as well, where do we see this thing going? So I think it is likely, though not certain, uh, that the Supreme Court will rule against Biden. Uh, and uh, if, it, if it chooses to rule in favor of him, but only on the technical procedural issue of standing, that would lead to more litigation, because among other things, it is very likely that the House of Representatives has standing to sue, even if the states uh, do not, if the court rules that the states do not. And when the House reverts to Republican control in January, as it is likely to do, assuming they can elect a speaker that they want to elect, uh, then they can file their own lawsuit. And that would almost certainly have standing, ironically, under the precedent set by one of the border wall lawsuits, which was filed by the then democratically controlled House. Um, so it is likely that sooner or later, the courts will rule that this is illegal. Uh, at that point, Biden would face the choice of does he want to give up? Or does he want to try to continue the moratorium indefinitely? If so, that might lead to its own legal challenges. Alternatively, he could try to use the HEROES Act to craft a narrower program where people are required to provide some sort of proof uh, that they really did suffer an impairment of their ability to repay uh, as a result of the pandemic. If you were to do that, depending on how he did it, it might even prove to be legal. Uh, so those are among the options uh, that he would have, or of course, he always had the option of just simply giving up, like to his credit, he did after he lost the eviction moratorium case 
uh, last year. Uh, so we'll have to see how it works out. Professor Ilya Soman at the Antonin Scalia Law School, at George Mason University, author of the book Free to Move, Foot Voting, Migration, and Political Freedom. Really appreciate your time and insights as always. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. Once again, Professor Ilya Soman joining us. He blogs at the Volok Conspiracy Reason.com, where you can see other fascinating takes from legal scholars. Be sure to check that out if you have not before. I'm Jimmy Sangenberger. You're listening to The Jimmy Sangenberger Show. On the other side, a couple of words and a little music on Tay Anderson, now running for re-election for the Denver Public Schools Board of Education. He'll be right here. News Talk 710 KNUS. Here we go. Where Joe Bonamassa just cranks out on that guitar as we come back in the Jimmy Sangenberger show. So this is why you got to listen live on Saturdays because that bumper music gets stripped off. But you can listen. JimmySangenberger.com slash Bluesified Christmas to the best Christmas bumper music known to man. I know listeners have been asking, where can we go for this? That's the place now to find the music. Good to be with you this morning. Wrapping up and winding down. Peter Boyle's in the house warming up in a bullpen for his show from 9 to noon. Just this week, and I was on with Stefan Wednesday night in studio for an hour. Tay Anderson announced his big announcement. He's still in the running for Denver School Board. It's not the city council or something else. And when he did his announcement video, he began with this overlaid, this audio you will hear, overlaid over a white man in a suit tying a noose and then cutting the noose and dropping it. is coming back to the board. And then dramatic music. Like it's building up. By the way, that imagery, utterly disgusting. To begin any sort of video. But especially when you follow it up with this stuff about kids and showing kids and so forth since being elected to the denver school board i've been hard at work to ensure that denverites have a public school system that works for all of us in my first 100 days in office and we don't need to hear any more of that gives you enough of a sense starting off with a noose that imagery with all its history utterly disgusting and of course he has no place on the school board but he's there and You know, unless Denverites say we're going to toss him out in fall of next year, which is a very big undertaking, let's be frank, in terms of the political analysis here. Unless they do that, he's in there and he's going to get away with it, with all the antics that he pulls with impunity. Now, when I was in with Steph and we did have a little bit of fun, remember, almost a year ago now, a year ago this month, Tay released his not-so-hit single, Slavin' Up in DPS, where he was a victim. He's always the victim. He's Denver's Jussie Smollett. And 
Well, we we played the song. Stefan had Leroy pull it up, and then I always have my harmonicas with me, and this is why, because you never know when you want to play along with Tay's rap. And then Stefan joins in, too. DPS, slaving up at DPS. I'm just chilling at the crib and making policy. They say they want some drastic changes here, but all I see is folks not helping all our kids when they can hardly read. And somehow I get all the blame, and that's what bothers me. Spending 250 k on They could have focused on some other stuff and not on Budget broke from all the innocent. You may be missing what I'm saying. Take a gamber, son. Little fun through it, but he's keeping on. We need some stuff that everybody keeps keeping on. Stefan joining in. had to end with a little bit of fun amidst all the serious discussion and I will continue of course to stay on the Tay Anderson DPS story there's a lot more to come in that regard and next week let me just tell you in the seven o'clock hour there will be an important guest who will join me in studio vis-a-vis the DPS saga and the school board a couple of those school board members you will not want to miss that 7 a.m. hour next Saturday morning. Now, as we look ahead here to the Christmas season getting underway, let's try and keep in mind, amidst all the seriousness, all the vitriol, all the negativity, that this is a time to be joyful, to celebrate loved ones. And especially when politics comes up at the dinner table, don't let it trash your friendships. Don't let it get in the way in that regard. Unless it really, they're, they're so off the wall in terms of their hatred, their vitriol, There may be a limit, but if you just you're disagreeing on policy or this and that you voted for somebody, they voted for somebody you don't like or whatever. We we need to give a little bit of grace. This is such a a heated time. But of course, there may be that point where you have to say, look, this is just too much. A guy like Kanye West, if you're a Kanye West fan, you got to drop him. And and, you know, I mean, I, I know. Peter will talk about this, but when it comes to that dinner with Trump, that was mistake doesn't even begin to cover it. And we on this program will continue to call out anti-Semitism, whether it is on the left or the right. Peter's up next. Have a great rest of weekend. And as always, may God bless America. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.